Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Walea Kinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. All right, let's do a quick recap of the last two weeks. Just, just very short. We've defined what effective prayer is. And one of the things we've said is that effective prayer is... is Prayer life, okay, that is self-motivating, satisfying, and definitely produces results. So you and I want that. We want a prayer life whereby people don't have to be, you know, we pray today. There's continuity in our prayer life, right? And the self-motivating, we don't need anybody to be all the time. And there will be times when people will have to encourage you to pray. Don't get me wrong. But it should not be all the time that, you know, that we have to be, always encouraged or reminded to pray and it is fulfilling you come out of a prayer session you feel fulfilled then of course there are practical results to show for time spent with the father then we've looked at of course james chapter 5 verse 16 the b part says the in the niv says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective the nlt says it produces wonderful results I'm praying for you that your prayer life will produce wonderful results in Jesus' name. So this week then, what we're going to be looking at this week is the Father loves you today. The Father loves you. And I want to start by saying this. Our prayers can either be based on fear, which leads to uncertainty, desperation, and frustration. Okay, our prayer lives, when we go to a place of prayer, it can be based on fear, and this will always lead to uncertainty, desperation, and frustration, okay? Or it can be based on love, which leads to confidence and assurance. It can be based on fear, or it can be based on love. My own experience in dealing with many people, and in, even in my own life before God really, really changed my life, is that is, the prayer was based on fear. It's based on fear. You know, the, the, the circumstances are so grievous around us. We run to the place of prayer. You know, we could see the panic in the place of prayer. The prayer is prayed in panic. You know, we, had, we come out of the place of prayer, there is no assurance. There is no confidence. There is no sense of certainty that the prayer has answered. So the, what Jesus said about prayer, when he said, when whatsoever you stand praying, believe you receive, then you shall have. That part just doesn't, you know, it looks like something that just is not real. It's not real, you know. And this is, I found out later on, by the help and the grace of God, that this was as a result of the fact that I didn't personally understand this thing called love, okay, in the place of prayer. Okay? And when I look at it, I, I realize that there are many mitigating, you know, factors to that. You know, the way we were raised our background, the environment in which we were raised, and all of that. You know, I was raised in a generation whereby the generation of the, my parents that raised people like me, okay, so these were, these were people that were born in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, okay, that whole generation of people, you know, many of them, and I'm not saying every one of them, but usually or definitely a significant percentage of them that raised us for many of us that have an, a some african heritage or grew up in africa they they themselves were not recipients of love okay they were they were they were people that were coming out of a colonial system and the people that led them did not show love to them okay they gave them instructions and they obeyed so Every action they took, they took it out of fear, okay, of punishment, not out of love for their masters. So they brought that into their nuclear families, okay, and the way they led their families also. Well, and I'm not suggesting that they don't love us. I mean, my father loves me, loves me, loves all of his children, and loves me. I know that. But 
they just have a very interesting way of expressing their love. You know, they, they kept their household running based on, you know, you, you, you just had to fear them. You fear them. Even when they call your name, it was fear. When you stood in front of them, when you want to ask them something, it's fear. You know, I remember many a times, say, for example, when I was young, you know, when, for example, today now, my son wants to go out and play basketball with his friends. He walks up to me and says, so, Dad, uh, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. He says, um, <clears throat> my friends will be coming, and I would like to go and play basketball with them. I'm going to the park uh, for around 6.30. Is that okay, Dad? And I said, oh, sure, 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 that's okay. Maybe some, once in a while I might tell him, that's okay. Just make sure you wrap up this and wrap up that, and then you can go. You know, I look at it, it's completely free of fear. Hi. <laughs> You know, sometimes I feel like he doesn't appreciate, he doesn't really understand and appreciate what he's enjoying. Because when I was growing up, it, it wasn't like that at all. Number one, you couldn't even, in my generation, you couldn't just even approach your dad like that. You need a mediator. <laughs> and usually that mediator is your mom that you will have spoken to about going to do something like that and your mom will have said, okay, all right. So usually then you have to now, after you've spoken to your mom as the mediator, you now have to approach the court when the court is seated. So what does that mean? So usually maybe in the living room, your dad will sit on his throne, also known as daddy's chair, which nobody sits on even when he's not at home. You only him sits on that chair. He sits there. Your mom will also take, you know, a position. The siblings will be somewhere. Everybody hang around somewhere. You know, then you gingerly step into the room then you know because of the way you've started you know, discuss this with your mom then your mom is the one that will raise the topic not you your mom will say ah how are you ah, and your friends gonna be in the in the park now playing basketball you can you can't raise it your mom will raise it so then you will say uh yes yeah, so why don't you go there all of this is being pre-planned so why, why don't you go you say hey, can i you say oh, no you can go ask your dad your... so because your mom has set it up then you now say, oh, dad, can I go? Now, then your dad is, because of the mediator, your dad now says you can go. But even his, the demeanor of his face is <laughs> telling you that, don't think you have won. <laughs> you know, I know the game you've played. Next time, <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, that's how we grew up. Most of us grew up. So then we have now, unfortunately, we gave our life to Christ, and unfortunately we have now come and we have projected that to God. We projected that to God. So that does not help our personal prayer life. Okay? So we got to understand this that only a clear understanding of the love of the Father can drive out that fear and that uncertainty. It's only a clear understanding of the love of the Father that can drive that out. All right? And now, this is what the scripture says. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, the Bible says there is no fear in love. This is scripture. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So in other words, if you have fear in approaching God or fear in the place of prayer, the Bible is saying, this is the Bible now, the Bible is teaching us that it is as a result of the fact that you have not been made perfect in love. Now, don't get me wrong. I know there is a place for us to fear God. Luke chapter 12, Jesus taught on fear, the fear of God. That's not what I'm talking about now. I'm talking of us approaching our Father in the place of prayer. Of course, the fear of God allows you and I to not stray away, okay? But that's not what I'm talking about right now. You know, I'm talking about in the place of prayer, in the place of prayer, in our relationship with God. It's when we understand the perfect love, that perfect love is what drives out that fear. So as a result of that, we're going to um, look at this, this today quickly. Hopefully we're able to wrap this, do this today. Fact, we're going to look at the fact that the Father loves us. 
fact that the father loves us we're going to look at the reason the father loves us okay today we're going to look at the meaning of the father's love for us in prayer and we're going to look at our response what our response should be to this love okay so let's start with the first one shall we the fact of the father's love the first thing i need to say to you here is this the fact of the father's love is exactly that it's a fact so what do you do with the fact you have a choice you can either accept the fact or you reject the fact but your acceptance of the fact or rejection of the fact does not change the fact okay your acceptance of it or your rejection of it does not, does not change it you can create a new reality for yourself in your own mind or your own heart it does not change the fact for example it is a fact that God became man and came here on the earth and died for our sins sacrificially as a substitute for the penalty of our sins that's the fact so you cannot accept that substitute Jesus Christ and now have eternal life or you can reject it and not have that it does not change that fact the fact is the fact okay so it's the same thing with the love of God the issue for many Christians is not even the lack of knowledge is the lack of acceptance that's why I pray for you today that the Holy Spirit will take this from your mind into your heart in Jesus mighty name you know when I used to read scriptures like initially like Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16 when, from verse 16 rather when Paul was praying for the Ephesian church and said I pray that you know, God will grant you according to the riches of his glory that you be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man okay it was Paul was praying for them strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man okay that Christ will dwell in your heart through faith okay I can still understand that he said then that you'll be able to comprehend with all the sense of God what is the width what is the length what is the depth and what is the height that you will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that part that threw me off that I will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge how do I know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that that, that threw me off for a while until God started showing me that what that is really saying is that know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge means it's not just for you to be able to know the scriptures it's for knowing it is to have the experiential knowledge the reality of it in your heart and I pray that that will be your own portion also today in Jesus name so please note this quickly okay God's love for us as Christians is a fact that is not dependent on our actions but on the action that Christ took by bearing our sins on the cross so the love of God for you and I is not based on our performance it's based on his sacrifice okay that's basically what that means God bestowed his love upon us as a gift not a reward for good works so the love of God for you and for me listen carefully is a gift it's not a reward there's a difference between a gift and a reward in the New Testament okay I'm sure in the English grammar also but in the New Testament there's a big difference God loving you God loving me is not a reward for our good works or for our performance God does not love me or is not loving me today because I prayed because I fasted I read my Bible I paid my tithes I served in church all of those things are good but all of those things is my own way of responding to the love of God that is not God initiating his own love to me I hope you understand what I'm saying okay so God loves me independent of my actions that that is a very important thing that needs to get into your heart God loves you independent of your actions all right first John chapter 3 verse 1 in the NKJV we can start with that it tells us that what manner of love the father has bestowed now note the word bestowed upon us 
So when you bestow something on somebody, it's not a reward. Okay? It's not wages you're paying them. It's a gift. That's what it means. You know, it bestowed upon us that we are not called children of God. All right? In the New Living Translation, it said, See how very much the Father loves us. He calls us his children. Okay? See. I pray that your God will open your eyes to see how much the Father loves you in Jesus' name. Okay? In the book of John, chapter 16, verse 27, this is a scripture that actually triggered it for me, the love of God for me, in, you know, in, 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 in my understanding. Jesus Christ said, John 16, 27, Jesus Christ was praying, and he said for the Father, he was teaching about prayer. You know, in John 16, 27, the context is that Jesus was talking about prayer. He was telling them, in that day you will ask me nothing, you will ask the Father, whatever you ask the Father in my name, Father will give you. So they were like, well, we know you. We don't know the Father. You can imagine. The disciples are like, we've known you for three years. We have everything we need. We always come to you. Now you're telling us to be asking the Father that is in heaven. How are we going to do that? So Jesus had to assure them. So Jesus said, the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. Okay? Then he now tell, he tells, he's telling them why the Father himself loves them. He said, the Father himself loves you. Because you have believed that I came from God. Can you imagine? The Father is not loving you because you came from Galilee or Nazareth or because you've, 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 you've sacrificed this or that. No. Or because the Father loves you because you believed I came forth from God, which basically means salvation. You believe Jesus Christ is God in flesh. Okay? You believe that. Once you believe that, that means you've received Christ into your heart. The Father loves you. It's as simple as that. If you don't mind, can you say this with me? I love to say that to myself all the time. It helps me. Okay, this confession helps me. Can you say, please, with me? The Father loves me. Please, let's say it again. The Father loves me. One more time, can we say it together? The Father loves me. That's right. So he showed his love towards us, towards you and I, Okay, while we're still sinners, so this, this is very important, and I know that this is going to rattle some people what I'm about to say, but you have to wait. Don't take the statement I'm about to say and just run with it. You have to wait till the end of this whole teaching so that you can allow me to balance it. Okay, the Father showed his love towards us while we were still sinners. By implication, it means today that. Our sin, if we do sin, does not change the love of God for us. What the sin will do is to change our love for God, but not change the love of God for us. Okay? All right? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying sin doesn't have any implications. I'm saying that it does not, God loves us while we're still sinners. This is scripture. This is scripture. All right? God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were still, still sinners, it, de it was demonstrating love towards us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Okay? Christ died for us. In the New Living Translation, look at what it says. But God showed us his great love. He showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, God did not tell us, clean up, okay, then I will love you. He loved us. It's that love that provoked us to believe in Christ and now clean up. You know, today we tell people, you've got to clean up, all right? But God, without showing them any love at all. But Jesus said, no, no, no. When he showed us the love, you, you, you look at it. You know, he called Levi, a man called Levi, Matthew, went to his house, sat down, was eating with him. And everybody said, why, are you, why is he eating with a sinner? But that, the act of love he showed, okay, provoked something. You know, you look at the way, look at the woman by the well of Samaria, and, and many, many, many more. You know, he showed us this love while we're still sinners. This is very important. This is a big area, and I, I, found, I, I struggle with this part too. It's a big deal for religious people to wrap their minds around, okay? Because the very act of religion means it's performance-based. 
Okay, I'm better than you because I can fast more than you. I'm better than you because I can pray more than you. I'm better than you because I live holier than you. That's the whole idea of religion. Okay? But when Christ came, and that's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't accept him. Because when Christ came, he turned everything all around. He said, everybody now is starting from square one. Everybody's starting from the beginning. We're starting on the plain slate. God is showing no partiality. It's not that you're better than your neighbor now. It's now about who puts their faith in Christ. So Christ says, not anything anybody has done now, not of works, lest any man should boast, but based on what Christ himself has done. So whether you are super, super, you've been super, super religious, you to, to be able to access God the Father, you still need to put your faith in Christ. Whether you are a condemned criminal, you still need to put your faith in Christ. That's why the very first person that experienced symbolically this whole act of the grace of God was a man called Barabbas, who was a murderer, that was released so that Christ can be, you know, um, 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 you know, can go through the crucifixion and all of that. Pilate can sentence him to death. Okay? All right, let's continue. God started loving you and I before the foundation of the world. And is loving us and he has committed to loving us till the very end. Now, this is this is this is this is this was amazing to me. When did God start loving me? I asked the question. Did he start loving you and I the day we gave our life to Christ? Did he start loving me when I was born physically? Okay. Did he start loving you and I when I got my acts together, similarly? And, you know, I got my acts together and I said, all right, all right, all right. Now I'm going to do everything I know to be right. Is that when God started loving me? So we're going to find out from Scripture, when did God start loving you and I? Why is this important? This is important so that you can know that the love of God predated any good thing you're doing right now. And the love of God also emphasized any bad thing you might be cutting right now. This is very important. Okay? So let's take a quick, a, a quick look at that. Okay? When he started loving us. In John chapter 17, verse 23 to 24, John 17, 23 to 24, Jesus Christ here is praying again. Look at what he said. I in them, so he's praying, and talking to praying for his disciples here. In John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples, okay? Of which you and I are one. All right? He said, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, Jesus is the one praying here, and that you have loved them as you loved me. This is just incredible. You need a revelation to really fully accept this. Jesus Christ is saying, and you know all of the prayers Jesus prayed while he was here on that physically, all of them were answered. He said, Father, I know you always hear me. He said, the love God the Father has for Jesus is the same love he has for you and me. So then, the next verse said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, that's you and me now, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, okay, which you have given me. For you loved me, Jesus was saying now, before the foundation of the world. So if God the Father loved Jesus, loved his son, before the foundation of the world, and Jesus said, if, look at the preceding verse again, Jesus said, you love them as you have loved me. It means you and I are also loved because of the predestination, preordination of God. He knew we were going to be in Christ Jesus. All right? So he has loved us also before the foundation of the world. So there is nothing in the world today that will now change that love that he has for you and me. That's why the, the, the writer of the book of Romans, Paul says, there is nothing that's going to separate us from the love of God. No depth, no height, no principality, no power. Nothing will separate us from the love of God because all of those things came after he had decided to love us. And the good news is that, so we know when he started loving us. When will he stop loving us? It's important we answer that question. John chapter 13, verse 1, tells us when he will stop loving us. He said, Bible says, when he loved his own, which we know we are loved, he loved them to the end, and the end has not come. The end is coming when Jesus comes the second time to put an 
end to the rule of the enemy. The end has not come. So God will not stop loving you. You need to say this to yourself and believe it. Please say with me, God will not stop loving me. Oh, please, can you say this again to yourself? God will not stop loving me. One more time, assure yourself, God will not stop loving me. That's right. He will not stop, being lo he will not stop loving you. He is with you in every situation in life. He will not stop loving you. Know, you know, even in the Old Testament, where a suitable sacrifice to substitute for the sin and the penalty of sin for man has not been found, a temporary system was put in place to shed the blood of animals to cover the sin for a period of time. When Samson sinned against God, all right, the Bible tells us something, you know, uh, you know, and, you know, and Delilah told the Philistines, the enemies, they should cut off his hair. In Judges 16, verse 22, the Bible says the hair of Samson started growing again. You see that? It's amazing. You know, and Samson was the one that prayed. He said, he prayed, he said, God, God should strengthen him this once, he said. And he said, let me die with the Philistines. That was his prayer. And his prayer was answered literally. God strengthened him only once more, and he died with the Philistines. If he had prayed, Father, give me another chance. God will give me another chance. Okay? God loves him to the end. To the end. So this is the fact of, that is the fact of the, of, the, of, the, of the love of God, the Father's love for us. So you and I must accept this fact. You must accept this fact if your prayer life will be self-motivating, fulfilling, satisfying and produce and having very importantly having assurance and confidence you must know that the, the father will not stop loving me you know you don't you won't feel any sense of uh, condemnation you know satan will not be able to bring condemnation to you you know you prayed on the monday you made up your mind i'm going to pray i'm, I'm going to pray 7 a.m every morning for 30 minutes or 6 30 a.m every morning 6 30 to 7 before i go to work Monday, you were so fired up. You prayed on Monday, 6.30. Tuesday, for some reason, you worked late on Monday. There were so many things that taxed you emotionally. And by the time you were going to wake up at all, it was 6.35. You know, then you couldn't pray that morning. And you're feeling bad that you couldn't pray that morning. You know, as a result of that, Wednesday, you're feeling bad. You're feeling a sense of guilt, condemnation. Satan is telling you, you see, you can't even keep this schedule. Only one day, just one day. You know, how, how, is, how is God going to take you seriously? And you allow all that condemnation to destroy your subsequent prayer time on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, until you come back to church again on Sunday. You are now inspired again. Then you probably perhaps you go back. When you go back again on the Monday, you know, it starts with a guilt session. So God becomes a therapist now. Now you're telling, you know, I'm so, so sorry. How tired. Cynthia annoyed me at work. James made me upset at work. I feel so bad, but I'm sorry. Forgive me. And God is saying, oh, God is saying, I get it. 30 minutes is almost gone. Let's get to today's, you know, let's start today's work. But because you don't understand the love of God. But if that has happened, on Wednesday you show up. You show up on Wednesday morning. Father, I want to thank you. Good morning, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the power in the blood of the lamb thank you for the finished work of christ on the cross of calvary thank you for loving me so much god is excited he's excited because he takes delight in the prayer of the righteous you know you know you have to understand something when jesus came and introduced the concept that god is a father the religious people wanted to stone him john chapter 10 verse 30 and 31 they took a stone they wanted to stone him because in religion the concept of that God is a father is a very strange concept that cannot be accepted. Religion has no place that God is a father. Religion has a place for a God that is all-powerful, erratic, and is completely abstract and detached from reality. That's the God that religion paints. It is Jesus Christ that brought relationship and says we have now received a spirit whereby we can cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is daddy. Daddy. That's the nice pet name that shows closeness to God. To say, God Almighty, 
powerful, but it's my dad. It's my dad. People that are not giving their lives to him and demons and all of that, they have to fear him. You know, I love him. Amen. Of course, because it's my dad, I have reverential fear for him. I won't do what is wrong, but never because I don't want to upset him, but nevertheless, I'm responding more out of the fact that he loves me. My prayer time is not a chore. It's not a time where a slave has to come and greet a master in the morning. So I don't get there with guilt and saying, there we go again. This God that says we have to enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his cause with praise. I don't feel like thanking him. I don't feel like praising him, but that's the protocol. If I don't do that now, you know, I don't know how he's going to react, you know. And then you are upset. You're trying to sing the song. It's different when you're coming to your dad. When you're going to your dad, it's completely different. You know, it's completely different. So let's quickly look at, we know now that the father loves us as a fact. So what are the reasons why he loves us? What is the reason for this reckless love? Please understand this. Our heavenly father loves us because he is love. Not because you and I are lovable people. <laughs> if you want to be honest with yourself, I'm being honest with myself. Apart from my wife that has, technically speaking, and it's only technically speaking, because it's not like she doesn't have an option, but it's only technically speaking, at least on paper, you know, she has to just live with me. You know, at least that's what the paper says. She has to just go along with me. Really, is <laughs> you know, it's very tough for any other person to cope. You know, no, and I know that you are the best, most lovable person in the world. You know, everybody. But but for me, I have to just be honest with myself because sometimes I have my I have my moments. I have my moments. Sometimes my wife wakes up in the morning and she says, she's having. A good time that particular morning, she just feels that she just wants to love me that morning. She says, Oh, you know, what would you like to eat? Do you want toast? Do you like make? I said, I don't want toast. Um, okay, do you just want me to? Because this is just something personal to me, okay? I don't even know if I should say this, but if, I don't, well, if I'm not talking toast, you know, bread, if I want to just take this bread that the manufacturer has decided according to their own will also known as sliced bread, you know, then sometimes because of the way it is, I have to take the edges off and go for the center where you can't make a mistake. <laughs> you know, this is just something personal to me. That's why I prefer the manufacturer to give me the bread so that I can move as the spirit wills. But anyway, that's a discussion for another day. So she tells me, okay, so how do you want it? Do you want the bread this way? You want me to get the bread, cut the edges off? No. Do you want um, cereal? No. So what do you want? No. You want scrambled egg? No. Poach? No. Sunny side up? No. Then, because we've been married for a long time, you know, she, she, then she senses that this man is in the mood. And now, this is early in the morning. Nobody has offended me. Nope, I've not offended anybody. I've just woken up. I'm still in bed. I've not even stepped out of bed. I'm already in the mood. So she says, is that okay? When, when um, you're ready, just let me know. I will make whatever I have to make for you. She just, she, she can sense that I'm in the mood. Not lovable at all. But, you know, even, but even in that moment, God still loves me. You see, because he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So I know for sure that God is not loving me because I'm lovable. You know, sometimes when my wife is praying, sometimes, and I come into the place, maybe she's speaking, you know, in English, and I come into the place and she changes it to speaking in the spirit, like in tongues, I'm wondering whether she's reporting me to God. <laughs> you know, because I don't know what she's saying to God. What I say, <laughs> God in heaven, Father, what did you do to me? You know, and I prayed before I got involved with this man. What did you do to me? This man is moody. He's not in the right mood on the Monday, on the Tuesday. I don't know what's wrong with him. You know? But our Heavenly Father loves you and I not because we're lovable people. 
But because he is love, that's his nature. He can't do anything outside of his nature. For this, you can read Ezekiel chapter 16. You will find a portrait of how God said he found the children of Israel, how they were. He said, I found you in blood. He said, you were messed up when I found you. I cleaned you up and all of that. That's exactly how it is with us too. So God loves us not because we're lovable, but because he's love. Okay? First John 4, verse 8, we know what the scripture says. It says that he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. All right? One of the reasons why the Father loves us, number two, our Heavenly Father loves us because of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. This will take a bit of explanation. Please listen very carefully. All of the anger, all of the wrath of God, okay, against sin for us was released completely, okay, on Christ on the cross. Everything. So right now, we don't have, listen, this is a very important part. And please, write down this statement, if you, particularly if it's an area you're struggling with. Let me say this to you. Listen and look at me very well. God is not angry with you. Religion teaches that God is angry with you and you have to tiptoe around this God that is angry with you. But let me say this to you. According to the New Testament scriptures, God Almighty is not angry with you. He was angry, you know, because when you read the Old Testament and you see the portrait of God in the Old Testament, you're wondering, wow, this God that will send people into cities and tell them, Kill everybody in the city. Kill the animals. Don't let anybody move. So you say to yourself, the Old Testament was portraying God's judgment on sin and a sacrifice to atone for that sin has not been found. Okay? There were temporary measures, but a permanent solution has not been found to appease the anger of God. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. But in the New Testament... He sent Jesus, and on Jesus, he became, Jesus became, listen to this word, what in the Bible is called propitiation for our sins. Romans 3, 25, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Okay? 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It tells us that he has now our propitiation. That word propitiation, okay, 1 John chapter 2 verse 2, 1 John chapter 4 verse 10, Romans 3 25, you see it in all of these places, that word propitiation. That word propitiation means a sacrifice that appeases divine anger. So Christ has become that sacrifice to appease the wrath and the anger of God. So once you have accepted Christ into your life right now, if God the Father still is still angry with you, that means God the Father is despising the sacrifice of his son Jesus. He can't. So he's not angry. He's not angry with you at all. He's not angry with you at all. If anything, he's loving you, even if you're backsliding. He's not angry with you. He's loving you back to himself. I hope you're hearing me today. So our Heavenly Father loves us because of the sacrificial death of Christ. You know, 1 John 5, 10, that I just said, in New Living Translation, it says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. That word there in the NLT is the word propitiation in NKJV. To take away our sins. Okay? As a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's real love. Okay? In the Living Bible, Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, Be full of love for others. So it's challenging us, right? Following the example of Christ. What was the example? Who loved you and gave himself to God as a sacrifice to take away your sins. Now look at what it says now. And God was pleased. For Christ's love for you was like sweet perfume to him. God the Father is pleased. Pleased with a sacrifice. When you accept that sacrifice by accepting Christ into your life, God, because he's pleased with the sacrifice, is pleased with you. All right? 
is pleased with you. So that's the reason. That's why God loves you and I. He loves you and I, number one, because that's his nature. He's loving. God is love. Okay, not because you and I are lovable. Number two, because of the sacrifice of Christ. So you can see now that of these reasons why God loves you and I, our individual performance is not mentioned. So when Satan says, look at you, you didn't pray yesterday. Oh, you said you were going to read three chapters of the Bible yesterday. You read, you know, and Satan, ah, but the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He will never let any mistake go. He will keep reminding you, he hold you pastor. You didn't read your Bible in one day. Ah, how are you a pastor? <laughs> you know, and when he, when he comes with all of that, how a whole pastor, you say you don't feel like praying. So what do you want the church people to do when you don't feel like praying and you are the pastor of the church? So I have to let him know. God the Father, he loves me. Whether I read my Bible, I don't read my Bible, he loves me. And he's going to love me till the very end. Okay? So I don't feel guilty that I didn't read my Bible. Uh, however, because of this love of God, I feel a sense to respond to that love. Okay? So let me say something quickly here. Whether you read your Bible, you don't read your Bible, okay? you come to church, you don't come to church, you pray, you don't pray, you live in sin, you live holy, it does not change the love of God for you. However, what it changes for you is that it changes your own love for God. And many of the things that need to be a reality in your life is as a result of not God's love for you alone, but of your own love back to God. Psalm 91, for example, tells us that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, for example, verse 9. Let me quote verse 9 first. It says, I have not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared. Okay? Prepared. We are prepared for who now? Prepared for those who love him. Not those who he loves. Those who love him. If you look at Psalm 91, it says the same thing also. It's those who, it said, because you have loved me. Okay? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For we know that all things work together for good. For them that are called according to his purpose, for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So our own actions is to respond to the constancy of his love, the unchangeableness of his own love. So what changes, what fluctuates, it's my love for God. You know, that's what fluctuates. That's what undulates. But his own love is always constant. So if I'm not feeling a sense that God is loving me, it is because I am not responding to his love. Because God's love doesn't change. I, I, hope, I hope you understand this. This is extremely helpful in the place of prayer. Okay? It helped me a lot. So if I'm feeling somehow, why am I feeling this way? That means that I just, I need to know to take responsibility it's not god okay it's me that i need to take more responsibility the more i do what i need to do read my bible pray and all of that fellowship with other brethren my own love for god will increase and that will helps my own faith because my faith will work with love Now, this is one of the most critical parts of this whole teaching. The meaning. Okay? The meaning of the Father's love in prayer. What the Father's love really means for you and I in prayer. Look at this now, then. Understanding and accepting the love of God is what allows you and I... <laughs> To have an assurance that our prayers have been answered or will, we will see the physical manifestation. Please listen. If, if you've not been listening at all before, you've been a bit distracted, please I, let me encourage you to really listen here. This is it. Okay? As applied to prayer. Applying this directly to prayer. When we understand it, and we accept it, like I said. You have to accept the fact of this. Okay? It now allows us to have something called assurance. The confidence in the place of prayer. Now, the first thing that will come to some people's mind is, is it actually possible to be confident? That, yes, to be assured. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
As a matter of fact, let me, just, let, me, let me quickly jump out of this topic and say something to you about in leadership. Anybody you see in leadership that wants to create fear and uncertainty in people and explains that away is not operating at that moment by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does not create uncertainty around people. God Almighty, the picture we have in the, new, in the book of Revelation, in heaven, is seated on a throne. And there are other people called 24 elders around him that are also seated on the throne. In people around him, he made them feel comfortable. Jesus Christ made people around him feel so comfortable that one of his disciples put his head on the chest. I also wanted to make people feel comfortable to that extent. Until the day we live in right now is a little bit strange. If somebody opens the conference room and comes to a minister's meeting and sees one of the ministers, a man sitting next to me and putting his head on my chest in the minister's meeting, you know, Understanding and accepting the love of God eliminates doubts. When Jesus said that we should speak to the mountain and if we don't doubt in our heart, I used to think, how is that going to work? Because though I know I have the scripture, but I'm still doubting. So how is this going to work? He said, when we pray and permits us to have confidence as we await the physical manifestation of the answers. So the quick question then is this. Why do we doubt and lack assurance that God has answered us when we pray? What is the reason? Pay attention, please. Why do, why do we have this doubt? When we pray, we pray, we spend hours praying. You know, we pray, we quote scriptures, we bring God's word back to him. We do all the things that we feel is necessary, but we still leave the place of prayer and we're still having doubt. We don't have an assurance. Why? Why? This is the answer. The answer is this. Doubt and lack of assurance is a curse of the law. Doubt. That's why Jesus said if he does not doubt. And I will explain this to you in a few minutes. Doubt and lack of assurance is a curse of the law. Okay? It's a curse of the law. So when you're praying and you're having doubt, you're having lack of assurance, though you were even praying based on scripture, the reason for that, I'll show you in a few minutes. First, let's look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. It says, it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. That's what God says to the children of Israel. Now, this is the Mosaic covenant. This is the law that came through Moses. Okay, so that's why it's called the Mosaic Covenant. Came through Moses. Then, that's, so it says that in verse 15, so it lists a lot of these curses, okay, from verse 15 all the way down in Deuteronomy 28. And when it gets to verse 66, look at what it says. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance. Your life shall hang in doubt. You have no assurance of life. So we have people today, even born-again Christians, that will pray and have no assurance. And religion teaches us that it's acceptable, that we should have no assurance, that, 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 that is actually humility. That's wrong. That's wrong. God does not want us to have doubt and lack of assurance and struggle and be plagued by it. That's the curse of the law. To be plagued with doubt and lack of assurance and having this uncertainty about life and about prayer and about our relationship with God is a curse of the law. Okay? Now, listen carefully. Then, if we approach God based on what we have done, in other words, our performance, we will always be plagued with doubt and have no assurance. No matter what you have done. So, you know, I've seen people sometimes when they come to me and they want to tell me about their situation and really they want me to pray for them. Okay, I'm a pastor of a church. So they want me to pray for them and I'm always glad. I'm glad to pray for people. That's part of my calling. All right? They want me to pray for them. 
when they want to tell me about the issues, sometimes, you know, they, and I'm, I'm not blaming them, I'm not knocking anybody, but I'm just trying to tell you, this is just the way, you know, we've, we've known it. You know, they will, in order to say that, and, and, and I understand what they're trying to say, they will first and foremost tell us, tell me, all the things they have done. You know, I'm going through this, for example, let's just take a simple example. I'm um, trusting God for some finances. I'm really, really broke right now. And then they go on to, into what they've been doing. I prayed, I fasted. As a matter of fact, I've just completed a 21-day fast. That was after I finished a 30-day fast. And I'm, even right now, Pastor, I'm just still fasting. I don't know why things are still not opened up. Now, all of the things they're saying, the good, there's nothing wrong in fasting. Fasting is good. Okay? However, everything they've said right now is their own performance. It's their own works. Their own actions. And there's no way. It has, the system of the kingdom of God has been designed in such a way that when you lean on your performance, you will doubt. When you lean on your own actions and activities, no matter how good they are, you will be plagued with the curse of the law. Because the law stipulates that if you break even only one of that law, you are guilty of everything. <laughs> you know, I used to be there too. This is what brings, this part is what brings the discouragement to many people in the place of prayer. Where you pray, you just finish a seven-day fast, and on the eighth and the ninth day, you're depressed. You're, you're tired, you're weary, you know, because you just finished this fast, you're, trying, you're trying to go for a job, and on the eighth day, you pick up your voicemail and they tell you, oh, or your email, and tell you, oh, sorry, we've gone with somebody else. You're so depressed. And the reason is that you're thinking, with all the seven days of fasting I've just finished, I was praying every day, three times a day I was praying and all of that. <sighs> why? God, why? Because, and, and you know, you are feeling justified, which is true. I'm feeling justified, which is true. Because if I go to a place and they say, I want to buy this iPhone in the Apple store, and they tell me, just saying, is um, $1,000. And I bring out $1,000 and give to them. I expect them to put the iPhone in the box. If I get back home and I open the box and I don't find the iPhone, guess what? I'm going to come back to them and say, why? I gave you a thousand bucks. Look at the, check the camera recordings. Why is my iPhone? I'm going to tell them that. They will tell me, oh, please calm down. Can you come? I say, no, I don't want to calm down. Get me the manager. You know, now I will say all of that. Why? Because I performed and they did not perform. But imagine, however, if I'm walking through the store, window shopping, and the man says, hey, hello, I'm just window shopping. I says, you seem to like that phone. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, go ahead, check it. What color do you like? And I said, oh, I like, I like the blue one, actually. He says, okay. And he calls the somebody and pays for it. And says, and I asked the guy, said, oh, you can pick it up tomorrow. Somebody pays for it. And I come tomorrow, the following day, and they say, well, we're so sorry, you know. We have, we're so, we had so much to do. It will, be ready to, it will be ready in two days' time. Guess what? I'll say, oh, thank you very much. And I'll go back home. You see? <laughs> I won't fight them because I didn't pay for it. So the pain and the disappointment we have in a place of prayer before our prayers are answered is because we feel we are paid for it and this God is not responding. We've done our own part. He's not doing anything. I fasted. I've done everything and you are not doing anything. And God is saying, you are plagued by the curse of the law. You're not having an assurance of life. So however then, we have to approach God based on what Christ did for us. That's the only way we can break the curse of the law. For Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law because he became a curse for us. So because he it's when we accept Christ that that case of the law of lack of assurance of life is broken. Then you now suddenly realize that you enter into this new world of confidence and assurance. Because I'm approaching, Christ, I'm approaching God now. I know that what I'm trusting God for, the price for it has been paid. So if I'm praying and I'm fasting now, it's not to pay for that. 
my praying and my fasting please hear me is not encouraging God to make a decision on my behalf right now my praying and my fasting is not motivating God inspiring God to decide in my favor I am already favored because of the sacrifice of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 tells me I am accepted in the beloved. And that word accepted in the beloved, that phrase is only used in two places in the whole Bible. That's the Greek word translated accepted in the beloved. Only two places in the Bible. The first place is when the angel appeared to Mary and said, uh, you are highly favored. The second place is Ephesians 1 6. Same Greek word. So, which basically means, I am already highly favored in God. The same favor Mary got, exact same favor that made him get an angelic visitation to be able to incubate what no human being on earth has been able to incubate. It's this exact same favor I'm having now. And you are having now. So, I'm not changing God's mind. My own fasting and praying is to work on myself to be in a position to receive. Okay, so for example, in the, case, in the illustration I used about the iPhone, someone has bought the iPhone for me and the person is gone, right? So I got back home, I'm telling my sibling, my brother, my sister, or for me now, I'm, you know, I'm married, I'm telling my daughter, or, you know, my son, I say, you know, I don't get to the mall, can you just take me to the mall? And they're saying no, and I'm talking to them and say, oh, no, I'm not going to take long, I just want to walk into the store and pick up something, I'm going to be back, and say, oh, but dad, I have an appointment, I can't take you, I say, oh, please, take me, I'm just, you know, it's going to take a long time. You see, all of that conversation I'm having now, the back and forth, the, you know, if you want to use the word, for lack of a better word right now, cajoling them or, you know, encouraging them, it's not to pay for the phone. It's to put me in a position to receive the phone that has been paid for. You see? So, and eventually I convince them. And they, they take me there. And I get there. They say, oh, they've closed. I'm not angry at the man that paid for the phone. I'm not angry at the place I'm supposed to pick up the phone. I can have a conversation, candid one for that matter, with the person that brought me there. So that the following day, we can leave earlier. See that? So when I, I fasted for seven days, I still didn't get the job. I'm not angry at God because he loves me. God is not the one withholding it. No good thing will live withhold from me. I'm not angry. Jesus paid for it already. He's gone back to heaven. I just have to know that, oh, all right, I, just, I, I did not get there. I now need to work on myself again, either on some parts, which I will discuss on Sunday, to work on those parts to be in a position to be able to take what belongs to me. For the violence now, we now take it by force. That's what Jesus thought. So, can you have an assurance Let's look at what this wonderful prophet in the Bible says. Isaiah. Isaiah says in Isaiah 32 verse 17, he says, The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Really? So Isaiah is telling us that what will really bring the, you know, Isaiah is prophesying. You know, you know, Isaiah is a very unique prophet. He prophesied about the birth and the life of Christ like no other prophet in the Old Testament. So he's telling us that one of the benefits when you and I really understand righteousness, the work, the benefit of righteousness, it will produce assurance. Another way of saying this is this. If you don't have assurance, it is because you don't yet understand righteousness. So you might say to me then that, but pastor, what assurance, what righteousness is Isaiah the prophet talking about? What righteousness is he talking about? Is he talking about our own righteousness or God's righteousness? Well, the best person to ask is Isaiah. Let's ask him. Prophet Isaiah, what righteousness are you talking about when you said the work of righteousness shall be assurance forever? This same Isaiah in Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us that our own righteousness is like filthy rags. So Isaiah already told us that it cannot be your righteousness and my righteousness. He said because this one is like filthy rags. So the effect, the work of that righteousness cannot be assurance forever. When that righteousness is like filthy rags before God. 
So Isaiah, what righteousness are you talking about then? Isaiah 54 verse 17. We normally quote this and say, oh, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But we don't know why. We don't know why it will not prosper. And we, we leave no Pentecostals, we say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me in judgment, I condemn. And we stop there. But the real reason why that is so, which is the real thing, we don't quote that. Which is that? He says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Why? He said, because their righteousness is from me. The reason why the weapon will not form against you shall not prosper is because your righteousness is from him. Isaiah said that. So every weapon that was formed against Christ on the night of crucifixion prospered. They took a spear. They gave it to him at the side. The Bible says blood and water came out. They took nails. They drove it into his hands. It, it prospered. They lied against him, raised up false witnesses. Those lies prospered. They raised up their voice as the mob. The Bible tells us clearly, the voices of the crowd prevailed. Every weapon they formed, even Jesus Christ said, this is the hour of darkness. He said, the reason why you're able to do this, well, this is the hour of darkness. The principalities and the powers and the demonic forces prosper. Betrayer, the plan of betrayer of Satan that he used Judas to accomplish, he prospered. The plot of the priests and the you know, scribes prospered. Every weapon formed against Christ prospered. They, they, they put a crown of thorns on his head. Blood came out. He prospered. Everything they did against him prospered. Why? He prospered because he took our nation. That's the way it was for us. Everything they formed against us prospered. But now that we are taking his place, nothing that the enemy throws against us will ever prosper again. Why? Not because of our performance, but because our righteousness is from him. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, I love this. It says, for he made him, come on now, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, not for entertainment purposes, for us, that substitution, that we might become the righteousness of God. So I am the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. Okay? That's why you can have assurance forever. Now let's look at it in practical terms, how the writer of the book of Hebrews puts it. He says, look at what he says, Therefore, brethren, therefore means I'm concluding implication of what I've been teaching. He says, therefore, brethren, having boldness, assurance forever, to enter the holiest. This is something that even the best of the high priests in his time could not do. The first high priest, Aaron, could not do it. None of them could have boldness to enter the holy place, which they only had to enter once a year. Now God says you should come in endlessly. None of them could enter boldly. They entered gingerly. And that is what many Christians are still doing today, coming into the presence of God gingerly, praying gingerly, making their request gingerly, not having assurance because they're still operating under the law, not under grace. But the Bible says you and I now, we can come boldly to the presence of God you know, on the authority and the platform of the blood of Jesus Christ, God is not going to reject me. For him to reject me, he has to reject the blood. And he will not discount the blood. So I come on the platform of that blood boldly and say, Heavenly Father, I want to just honor you and worship you. Thank you for the blood of the Lamb. The Father says, that's right, that's right, that's right. See? And look at what he says anyway. Then, oh, I love this. He says, by a new and living way. So even God here is acknowledging by the Holy Spirit that this is a new way. For some of us, we're going to be struggling with that because we love the old way. Jesus said if they give you old wine and new wine, and you've been taking old wine before, when you taste the new one, you say, mm, the old one is better. Some of you are still going to say, my religious way of doing it is better. You know? But Jesus, Bible says this is a new and living way, which God, through Christ, consecrated for us. And now, we now have a high priest Jesus Christ now, who is overseeing it to make sure it continues to be so. And look at what it says. I love this now. What will this new and living way do? It says, let us draw near with a true heart. Come on now. In full assurance of faith. Full. Not half measure assurance. Full assurance. 
I have full assurance. Why? I did not approach God based on my performance. I'm not saying, it is true that I'm fasting, it is true that I'm praying, it's true that I'm paying my tithes, giving offerings, serving in the kingdom, coming to church, loving my neighbor. That is, however, not the reason why God is answering me. That is the reason why my own faith, okay, is being released, okay? Because my flesh is subdued and my inner man is empowered. But that's for me. I'm working on myself, my side of the transaction. But that's not the reason why God is. God is doing what he's doing because of the sacrifice of Christ. That is what is called grace. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.